0: And welcome back again, another edition of Stripe Show Podcast, this time teamed up uh, with an app that I use. It's called the Skillist app, and uh, it's a great app uh, when teaching long distance. Of course, I work with a, a lot of students long distance, send me video all the time. This uh, gentleman next to me here, he uses it too, works with people all across the world, but he's a putting specialist and I'm excited to uh, welcome in Marcus Potter, who just made the trip from uh, the Rocket Mortgage there in Detroit. Now he's—I woke him up early, folks. <laughs> at the uh, at the John Deere Classic in Moline. How you doing, buddy? Good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I know. Uh, what is this? Day eight for you now on the road? Is this? Yeah, no day happened?
1: eight. This is this is easy so far.
0: Yeah, this is easy. Okay, so what's what's the longest <laughs> stretch that you you've been on tour?
1: Uh, I did five weeks for the West coast swing this year. That's the okay. most I've done. And then awesome. I didn't leave my house for like five days after
0: that. <laughs> so you, of course you, you work with uh, Matthew Naismith and uh, Andrew Landy who were both played last week in Detroit. Yes. And they're both uh, rolling in here uh, this week in the Molina. We'll get to them um, here in a second. I'm really excited to uh, have you on because, you know, it's, it's easy in golf instruction to have the narrative be dominated by full swing. Right. Because, you know, a lot of people, that's what they want to, gravitate to and they they want to hit the ball longer and they want to hit the ball straighter those kinds of things give me the driver and let me go right it's sexy <laughs> yeah it's sexy right and then but there's oh yeah there's this other part of the game uh, that's putting and that's where you come in and you've got a great following on instagram um so i'm excited to do this and i've been wanting to get you on but i've been waiting here because you know baden who um uh, is is the man was skillless We've been uh, trying to put this series together and, and, and no one better here to kick it off than you. But I got to tell you, I'm in Idaho and most people are, are used to seeing me here on the podcast in my studio back in Ponte Vedra. but I'm actually up in um, Kellogg, Idaho, Pinehurst, Idaho. It's a little town uh, in between Kellogg and Coeur d'Alene. And you can see here behind me here, these, uh, these state championship trophies mm-hmm. as uh, the girls team finished, uh, let's see, 3A girl, they finished fourth. And then here's the boys this year. They were the state champions. Ooh. So uh, golf is um, uh, in at high school here where I went. Um, they love it up here and it's exploded. And we had a good team when we played, made a nice run, but uh, they do a nice job up here. So it's going to be back right here from this clubhouse that I grew up in bringing you the Stripe Show podcast with Marcus Potter. Let's get right into it here. Um, the boys are rolling in. I think it'd be really interesting For you to share with the audience, what's about ready to go down here um, as you get out to TPC Deer Run and you start breaking down these green complexes and things like that from a putting coach perspective, working with two players, give my audience a feel about about what's ready to go down here as far as preparation.
1: Absolutely. So everyone's a little different. And the two players that I'm working with right now, one of them, I think, is in about his sixth year on tour. And Matt kind of started during the coronavirus year. So it's his carryover second year, but some of the events got canceled. This was one of the events. So this is a new event for him. And so these weeks are going to be kind of two different weeks for these guys. Landry's played this tournament, like I said, believe five times. So he knows these greens. He knows this golf course. He's played well here before. So for him, it's just kind of keeping things in check, going through the golf course, make sure nothing's changed, seeing the conditions this year, seeing the green speeds, getting comfortable out there. But with Matt, it's going to be totally different because he's coming in blind. And so we're going to have to spend a little more time on the greens, a little more time checking out the complexes, and then just getting used to where everything is this week as well. So that's going to be kind of a different aspect of it. But it's interesting the different levels of guys that have been out here for 15 years, five years, rookies, to kind of see how they go about their business and how long they're prepping, how long they're not prepping, what they're doing. But it does fluctuate from player to player. Like this week's going to be a little shorter for Landry because he's played it. This is mm-hmm. an event before, but for Matt, it's going to be kind of some longer days just to kind of get used to the golf course, get comfortable out
0: here. Mm-hmm. So for like Matt, when he, when he gets out there, um, and, and they're playing these practice rounds, are they going to, is he going to be, you're going to be anticipating, right. Where the whole locations are because they don't know exactly, right. They don't know exactly where they're going to be each day. They pretty much do. So they have, because they have historical
1: data and all these events. This one, obviously, has been around for a while. And they've got general locations. Okay. And most of the time, they put them in the same spot. They might be a step apart from where it was last year. So they kind of have general ideas. And then they give you the pin sheets from last year, actually. okay, And all the caddies have them marked in the books. So people are throwing discs down where they're going to be. And that's kind of what we're going to do today. Obviously, put some discs down in all four areas, hit some putts to them, kind of see what the greens are doing, mark some notes down. And then in particular, kind of where to to hit it, where not to hit it, kind of the big things. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've learned more from being out here and watching guys prep is going back to all that historical data they have. They kind of know where not to hit it. Like, let's say the flag's back left. It might seem like the middle of the green might be a better option, but historical data might show if you hit it long left, you're more likely to uh, get it up and down than if you hit it in the center of the green, you are to two putt, which is something i found very interesting, actually.
0: So the historical data, they're, they're, they're working off of that um, yeah. probability, obviously, the their shot shape coming in. And, and based upon that, they're then calculating, OK, how aggressive do I want to be? getting into this flag
1: yeah like um, sometimes it's like it might be better to be aggressive and if it goes over the green it's better than if you hit it 25 feet in the center the green 30 feet right. in the center of the green which is weird to think about you would never necessarily think that mm-hmm. but data proves that over 20 years
0: yeah let's put let's put andrew um landry's video up there and you, you look at it here both these guys interesting um left hand low yep <laughs> kind of not
1: my choice, actually. Matt's done it since twenty twelve, and
0: uh, Landry and I kind of worked our way to that based off of his hand action a little bit. Okay. Talk to me about that, the hand action and 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 why what what was happening there to help facilitate maybe a left hand low change.
1: So for Andrew specifically, when he came to me, the ball was really far forward. His weight was really far back, which is kind of something we'll talk about a little later. But that was kind of causing his hands to almost kind of cast it a little bit to almost get back to the ball. Hmm. And so the easiest way for kind of us to get that hand action more proper was to kind of almost get that left hand going towards the hole. And so if you kind of check it out in the more face on view, you can really see the hand action of that left hand kind of leading towards the hole. And that's kind of something specifically lately we've been working on because he had a little bit of where that putter head would pass the hands kind of in transition. And then from there, things get really off because dynamic loss all thrown off contacts, not going to be good. And then launch of the golf ball is going to vary from putt to putt. Mm-hmm. And so that's why for him in particular, going to left-hand low allowed him to kind of keep that, ha- keep that angle a little better as opposed to kind of letting it break down.
0: And, and would you say that's the, cause I, I want to talk about some of these grip types as we go through, would you say when you have a player, because we know there's a lot of amateurs out here who, you know, they get a little breakdown, Um, the the putter face wants to close and it wants to swing up and we catch it low on the face and the ball's not rolling pure. So for someone who has some of that, you know, and maybe needs a little more shaft lean left hand low is a, is a good option.
1: Uh, I 100% think so. Like anyone that has a very bad cast because people, some people flip it, some people cast it. It's really different. I'm sure you've seen kind of all different stuff. And I think left-hand low is great because you can naturally just kind of feel like that left hand almost goes towards the hole. And then it just doesn't allow things to break down. And that's kind of something that it's very common for people that have big issues with that cast. If they go left-hand low, it's just easier to feel that thing kind of stay connected, stay firm. And then it instantly kind of gets that ball
0: rolling better. So with, with Landry and then feeling almost a little play, is it like he almost feels a little forward shaft lane?
1: Uh, so right now in transition, he's almost feeling a little bit of a down cock in a sense to where that putter head stays still in the hands kind of go
0: forward. Yeah. The opposite of a cast, obviously. And so right. that's
1: kind of something we're working towards.
0: It's funny you say that. I've got a couple players that that's what they feel in transition is just like a little like there's almost like a little increase in transition. Mm-hmm. And then they feel like almost like they're painting it, like they're kind of painting mm-hmm. this through. And they feel like they feel like the shafts 7, 8, 10 degrees forward. It's not. <laughs> and then you show them, they're like, oh, okay. It actually is returning very close to where it started. And um, and, it almost, and and almost I hear a lot, almost like they're hitting hitting down on it a little bit more. You know, they're not. Yeah, it's it, a it, feeling of it almost. It's a feel, yeah, yeah. So that pattern, what we're talking about here, I know there's a lot of people watching and listening to this. They're like, yeah, I break down, Potterhead swings up. Oftentimes you see that really elongated finish. Like there's no ending to the stroke. It just kind of keeps high. Yeah. 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 Um, I see that all the time. I'm sure you do via long distance videos, um, as well. And I want to get to the first online lesson here that you're working on with a student via the skills app here in a second, but I got to ask you, so these greens reading books, they're (sighs) about ready to, um, go away. What's your take?
1: I'm happy. They did it. I'm I consider myself more of a golf traditionalist. Obviously things progress and things need to progress, but I, I mean, I'm all for them banning green reading books. I'm for them banning arm lock. I'm for them banning a line on the golf ball. <laughs> I just, I think things should be kept a little more simple yeah. in terms of it. And, but in terms of player reaction on tour, I haven't heard anything negative. Really? Okay. All the players are like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. I think, It's going to be really interesting to see because obviously we've had all the years of stats with putting books. And then next year we're going to go to a full year where we won't have putting books. I'm curious if stats get better or worse actually. Me too. Because they're not super easy to read. And if you misread a green reading book, it's the same as misreading a putt and you're not going to get it right. And so. (laughs) And I, and I think it kind of messes with players' heads sometimes because they're like, OK, I see this thing right edge, but the book's telling me it's pretty straight. And then they play at center and they might miss it low. And they're like, oh, should I should have trusted my instincts there. And so I think it's going to be really interesting to see if people putt better or if people putt worse after the books are gone.
0: You know, Trevor Emelman said something on the telecast. I think it was yesterday. Um, these days, I, I kind of lose track of days up here in Idaho. It's like it's only dark, like seven hours a day up here. So you just, (laughs) you're just constantly going, it feels like there's 48 hours in a day. But anyway, um, I think it was yesterday. He said something, he says, you know, like the greens reading books, all this information, this and that. And, and all of this prep that they can do, you know, guys taking their quad out there and putting it down. And he goes, he thinks it's kind of taken away from like the value and the productivity of great caddies Um, and, and the caddies that really, you know, are very good at a lot of this stuff and it's maybe devalued them just a little bit. What do you, what do you, what do you say to that?
1: I would, I would agree. I, I think the role of the caddies kind of shifted a little bit mm-hmm. more to not, not therapist, but someone that is going to keep you comfortable, keep you calm out there, keep you in the right frame of mind. Cause like you said, everyone has access to all this data now. Yeah. So I mean, you could, you could hire someone off the street. They might not know anything about golf, but if they're good with data, they can know numbers and they could be able to kind of figure it out. But when I look at player caddy relationships, a lot of them, they kind of need to, it needs to be a good dynamic between them with what I've seen. And there needs to be a good rapport. And cause you spend so much time with these people when you're on the road for four weeks, you're borderline spending more time than you are with your wife or whatever.
0: Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a good point. You know, you see like Rory's best friend and DJ's brother and yeah. Bill's brother. And like, that's, I, I think. That's sink and his son. What's that? Stuart sinking his son. Stuart sinking his son. Yeah. I think that's, that's where it's going. I think you make a good point there. All right, I got to get into this first online lesson here, student. Um, and, you know, I would assume like the full swing when people sign up through the skills app, you know i want to see a face on view which is you know the camera's looking at me right here and then you know down the target line or you know in between the hand line or in between the target line and the body line somewhere across the hands there yeah and you know i like to see you know send me a seven iron send me a driver and then give me some feedback of your history a little bit ball flight tendencies that you're seeing as far as on the club face point of contact your misses and ball flight so give me some information, but I want to see those videos so I can give you a full analysis and then give you the game plan to get better. So is that the same in putting as we look at this first student here? I, I noticed you sent me a face on and a target. Walk us through this, this, uh, this student here, your analysis and what you're working on here long distance.
1: Yeah. So same with me and putting. Typically, I'm going to ask for about a 10 foot flattish putt just because it's okay. kind of not a super short stroke, like five feet. And it's not a super huge stroke, like 35 feet or whatever. But face-on down the line, kind of same thing. Starting with the face-on video here. And this is very, very common with what I'm seeing in a lot of online students. Is you'll notice, he's got that ball really far forward. The weight's really far back. And that's caused that shaftling to get back, which has added a ton of loft to that putter. And so what's going to happen from there is you're going to have to compensate somewhere. And if you don't, you're going to kind of either hit it on the bottom of the putter launch isn't going to be good. And it's just it's not going to be consistent day in and day out. So that's kind of the first thing. And like I said, this is something I see with most online students where they get way too far back. The ball's too far forward. And then you just can't really you can't let the putter swing from there naturally. It's just a lot of compensation versus if you look at Tiger specifically. If you drew a line up his like left shoulder, it would go down his entire left side. So I'd consider that kind of stacked up on his left side. And that's one of the videos I'll show a lot of my online students just for reference. Of like, look where he is and look how much you're back here. You right. he can just kind of let that putter swing from up front and you're all the way back here. You've got to try and
0: find a way to get it there. So ball position. Talk about because this this player has it way forward. And so do you like, is the ball position change based on how much shaft lean weight? How do you kind of measure that?
1: So uh, assuming so ball position's weird because if I told him, like I would tell most people, assuming a proper setup, good ball positions, typically like left cheek to left ear. Okay. We'll know that for a right-handed golfer. But if I told him that that would put his ball way back because of his weight distribution. So the weight distribution ball position, 100% go hand in hand. And if you work on one, you kind of have to work on the other or make sure that they kind of complement each other. Because right. if you just move like for him, if I just told him, hey, get it below your left ear, that wouldn't really solve anything because he's still so far back here. There's going to be a lot of compensations required. But once people kind of get that weight distribution correct, which typically 50-50, maybe a little more on the front foot's good, below left cheek to left ear is typically an ideal ball position for most people.
0: Do you like to see the shoulders pretty level for the most part and not a lot of side bend, or is that something that you'll kind of manage as you go?
1: Kind of manage that as I go, because there's certain players out on tour. Like, I mean, like if you look at Brad Faxon, obviously he's got that left shoulder really high, but then Spieth, obviously his left hand low is almost left shoulder lower. And so it kind of fluctuates from player to player more than anything. But if the setup's getting so far off to where yeah. they're kind of leaned back, then it's not allowing it to flow properly. Then you're kind of going to level out the shoulders. But to me, that kind of more so usually comes from weight distribution with the shoulders because people are so far on their back foot that the right shoulder just has to naturally get way low. And so just by getting more forward, with that weight it naturally kind of levels out that shoulder.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting um, just listening to you talk and looking at these, these videos here. Um, one of the things I'll talk is that, you know, kind of the forearm wrists alignments, Marcus, I see a lot of players who their trail arm will get pretty high. yeah, you know, like the right hand for me would get on more on top and then my right forearm's higher than my left. it feels like I'm always kind of trying to get the, the the right side more under sure. and soften where the forearm matches up more to the alignment of the putter shaft. is that? Do you like to see the forms kind of match the angle of the putter shaft? Is that something you like to see or is there wiggle room there too? There's definitely wiggle room there. I think that's not a bad thing, Yeah. but
1: I think if you get into a good setup and it doesn't fall that way, if it doesn't line up the forms, it's not necessarily an issue. Because if you look at Tiger, he's kind of a little lower. He drew a line, it wouldn't match him. Luke Donald is perfectly up. So it kind of goes back to the individual, but – I would a hundred percent agree with you kind of going back to that right yeah. side getting high. That's a very common issue that leads to that right shoulder getting too high as well for some people. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of tiger talks about it. Tiger does it a lot. He really tucks in. Yeah. You see a lot of players kind of tuck in mm-hmm. and that naturally gets everything connected a little better. And allows yeah. the whole body to kind of work as one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I had Luke on, um, on the podcast what, about three weeks ago and we were just talking about a short game and that was one of the things with his, with his putting and, you know, he doesn't even really, he just does it now. You know, he doesn't, there's no like, I I feel this, but what you're talking about, there's kind of the elbows kind of here and your palms almost feel out versus Mm -hmm. the other way like this. Um, Yeah. It seems like, you know, it's almost like I'm trying to, the majority and everybody's different i know that but it's like you know the forearm soft and then they feel the lead wrist almost kind of it almost feels a little unhinged to them this way with that soft versus so you know so dominant that way
1: and you kind of just showed me something another thing is like i see a lot of people they get that left wrist really cupped mm -hmm. and for it for putting that really doesn't work that well and typically that kind of comes from right shoulder gets high and that gets kind of strong yeah. And then from there, they honestly kind of lift it up and out, usually almost kind of like a golf swing in a sense.
0: Yeah. You know, talk about. Um, so this stroke, this, this stroke that we're looking at, you change some of the setup. Now, just kind of talk briefly about the kind of the stroke profile here a little bit. Um, obviously, it's you know, you want we want it working on an arc, but like this particular player. What what has happened now through the evolution? Okay, I've changed the setup now. And then where is the stroke tending to gravitate to?
1: So if you look at the second video here with the black shirt on, you can definitely see he's more stacked up on his left side. That ball is kind of just outside his left ear. That shaft lean's falling slightly towards the target. And so that's kind of where I would like to see a lot of setups fall. A very neutral shaft lean. Uh, He's very stacked up on his left side, which makes staying still a lot easier. And just kind of letting things swing and then from there it just kind of makes it easier him in the second video this gets a little set onto his right side which was something we worked on in that second lesson but kind of going back to once we got that setup right it's way easier to get the stroke correct because once the setup's in a good spot it's just like okay we can let that thing swing now and see what happens yeah and then correct anything from there
0: So Rapsodo mobile launch monitor, improve your golf swing today. Pro level launch data in the palm of your hand. It is very accurate within 2% of a $20,000 unit. The Rapsodo MLM app automatically tracks stats and stores video with shot tracer, helpful for club gapping and understanding true distances for each club. Rapsodo MLM provides immediate feedback, data and creates a better practice environment not mindlessly hitting balls. Extremely portable, cases about the size of a rangefinder. And you know what? You can use it both indoors and outdoors. I love this launch monitor. It's the Rapsodo mobile launch monitor. Check it out at rapsodo.com, R-A-P-S-O-D-O.com, rapsodo.com. In the stroke, what what do you, like if you had a blank slate with someone and they asked you, what's governing the stroke? Is it a, you know, you hear a lot of players like it's almost like a small turn in the shoulder, like almost like a piston action. Do you, do you like this little turning action or do you like this up and down rocking action? Where, where do you kind of tend to see yourself gravitating to?
1: So I kind of view it slightly differently than uh, some people. I oh. view it more so through the hands and the arms. Okay. Because kind of functioning as a whole unit and because if the hands and arms swing properly, kind of connected, not kind of almost a triangle in a sense yeah. that people talk about, the shoulders are going to follow exactly what the arms are doing. And I think Maverick McNeely is someone who's a great putter on tour, who I really like how he kind of keeps it all together. And it's really just kind of a solid upper body, one piece movement. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really kind of the way I personally look at it more mm-hmm. because if, and I think that's easier to control it. Like I'll stand up here just for kind of a setup. Yeah. yeah. And if you kind of get just a little more still, and then you can just let the upper body just kind of move, just feeling like you're swinging the arms. I feel like that's easier and kind of the shoulders because I feel like you kind of get more off with the shoulders versus just letting the arms swing by themselves. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a little more natural, and then the shoulders are just going to
0: follow what the arms do. Yeah, it's like a like your your hands and arms, and then your body's kind of responding to that. One hundred percent versus your body then moving and telling your hands and arms.
1: Because it's yeah. I mean it's such a small motion that it's yeah. and we, we don't need to get too much involved. And I think. Right. We, the shoulders are going to
0: naturally move as those arms move. So if the setup's good and you, you engage the arms and hands now in in theory, like would you say that you're really setting the stage for the putter head to move naturally kind of up back and in just slightly. Right. Which then sets the stage for it to want to swing back down properly. Right. It's almost like, can we just get all these things in line get the engine going. And then instinctively that putter head does the right thing, which then sets the stage for you to be kind of reactive coming through, which is a lot like the golf swing development.
1: hundred percent. Cause I like telling people that, I mean, all putters are designed to swing a certain way. And I like telling people try and let the putter do most of the work. You get into a good setup and everything's good. That putter should be able to almost in a sense, kind of swing itself. And I think that requires less compensation and just, It just, in a sense, it's more natural, more reactive, where it's just kind of, you just let it happen mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to force something to happen.
0: How would you define release in putting?
1: That's an interesting one because
0: yeah. I get that a lot. Like Travis, what is, what is release in putting? I would, I would never tell someone to
1: think about it first. Oh, okay. And, and I, cause I think again, it, I'm very, I think things are very natural and people shouldn't have to think about it. Like I look at putting, like shooting a basketball, you don't think that you're 25 feet from a hoop. You don't need to launch it on a 25 degree angle. You're you're just, it it just happens. You just throw the baseball to the glove. You just shoot a basketball to the hoop. And I think that's kind of the same with putting. Mm -hmm. And the more and more that I've talked to good putters out on tour, they keep it honestly kind of stupid, simple. Yeah. Like Kevin Kisner is an example He's like, I'm just trying to roll it over that that spot on the green. Yeah, and like I've heard that same thing from I can't tell you how many other players, and it's just it's really interesting to hear because you see so many different good putting or so many different putting strokes on tour. Not all of them you would consider ideal, but if you look at their strokes gained, they're top 25 yeah. in putting on tour, and so clearly what they're doing is repetitive
0: and good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it's like. You know, I'll, let me make this statement tell me what I'm missing I mean it's in putting the goal is to get the ball started online with the right distance right now assuming you've read the green properly then like exactly. that's kind of it <laughs> and,
1: and and that's how I view putting it's like I think the because it's it's kind of it's what you, what you finish off the hole with it's the thing that's determined by you either make it or you miss it so I think there's been a lot of trying to understand it but yeah. It's just, it's literally just rolling it
0: on yeah. your line with your speed. And that's all it is. <laughs> Do you see with amateurs, let's let's focus here on the amateur for a second. Do you see most strokes? Does it go too far inside going back or too far outside?
1: Uh it's actually it can be a combo of both. I would say the the biggest fault I see is it goes away from the body at first and then it comes in. Okay. And then from there, you like you're gonna have to loop it in the transition. You're gonna have to do something, but I would say it's pretty rare. It's probably inside's the more common one. Okay, I would say it's definitely rare when people kind of take it way out and cut across it. Yeah, I think people come way too inside more often than not. Okay. But like I said, the the main thing I see, which I don't like, is when people go the putter moves away from the body first okay. and then comes in because from there the face is instantly off path. And then you bring it in and it's like, okay, I don't, that's not a
0: natural motion. Like, I don't
1: know how to get it back to square from here.
0: Right. What do you like to see in transition? I mean, is it, is it a, just kind of a, you want to see a smooth transition with less, like no, you know, where the the, the putter heads kind of wobbling around this way or that way. But a, a smooth tra- transition that just comes right back and traces back down that same, that same path going back.
1: Yeah. So obviously there's going to be people that are kind of outliers. Like Brooks kepka has got that big over the top loop and that's mm-hmm. clearly worked for him. Uh, if you look at Crenshaw, he kind of had a little bit of an over the top loop, which if you're going to have a loop, I would kind of prefer an over the top loop because you bring it in and then it loops kind of back onto path and works down line, but kind of going back to what you said, and this is something I'm big on with people is I want to see that putter go back and through on the same path. Okay. whatever path it goes back on, I want to see it go through on, which is why with players in particular, especially players on tour, I don't get too caught up in what their path is doing week to week. Mm. We keep it in check, but like we're not. Oh, it's two degrees inside this week versus it was one and a half last week. It's more so, okay. the setup's good. The path's going back in and the transitions going back and through on the same path. So that means things are kind of matching up. Because the way I look at it is if the transition goes back and through on the
0: same path, it's going to make squaring that face really easy at impact. Mm-hmm. And then as you come into impact, is it, is it consistent shaft lean from where it was at address, or is it just the idea that there's a repeatable shaft lean that fits that player so they can roll the ball in line and the ball's coming off consistent
1: so that's one thing that i've actually i bought a quintic which is kind of like the launch monitors yeah. for putting, and i've gotten to use that have that since december and so that's kind of something that i've learned a lot about mm-hmm. and shaffling coming into the ball is so different depending on each person mm-hmm. some people present a lot more shaffling like me for example i keep the putter really low going back and i have a ton of rise mm-hmm. but it works because i get my hands in front but there's other people who kind of are very neutral and their hands are kind of right at the ball. And so their shafting kind of almost returns exactly where it was or so other people are going to be a little more in front of it. Mm. And so there's no right or wrong. Yeah. It just goes back to if you're in a good setup and that thing's right, you should be able to return that square at impact.
0: Yeah. And it seems like, it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you look at the length of the stroke, um, Is there more little longer back to the shorter finish than there is, say, the maybe kind of shorter back to the longer finish? You know, I I kind of look at the ratio. It's, you know, it's like, okay, it's not a perfect number, but like, say it's two to one Mm -hmm. versus one to two. You know, is it, it are most players on tour kind of longer back to the little more abbreviated finish? So this is
1: something that I've kind of been focusing a lot more on lately, actually. I'm kind of glad you asked that is kind of acceleration profiles ratios a little bit. Yes, yeah. And this is something facts talks about all the time that he received kind of as a tip from Crenshaw was he Crenshaw always wanted to make his backstroke longer than his follow-through and going back to the quintic, which they've got a good measure for acceleration on there. And that's kind of something I've seen. If And the most common thing with amateurs in particular is short long, which means they're going to have a lot of acceleration coming through. Right. Versus if you go long back, you don't have to accelerate coming through. You can kind of, I posted a video on Instagram of Tiger talking about Crenshaw specifically saying Mm -hmm. almost let that putter fall on the ball. And that's kind of almost the feeling I like telling people to do is like, you should be able to take it back and just kind of let that thing fall on the ball, let that natural weight of the putter kind of get that thing going. As opposed to if you go short, you have to kind of increase that. And something that I tell, I mean, honestly, all my students, whether they're professionals, amateurs, the great way to maintain consistent tempo in your stroke is not letting your grip pressure change from start to finish. Doesn't matter if you have a three out of 10, a seven out of 10, if it doesn't change, the tempo to the stroke is going to be very consistent. But if you go from a three to a seven, you're going to see a ton of acceleration and if you go from a seven to a three you're going to see a ton of deceleration mm. so that's why I'm big on whatever grip pressure you have just keep that from start to finish and your tempo is going to be very very
0: constant through the stroke gosh but you make it sound so easy <laughs> but it's just you know it's funny you say that because I just I, I just you know it's easy to use yourself as an example I mean I play some golf and my putting is very up and down, you know, like it just feels like I'm hitting the some there's days I'm hitting the center of the face and my line. And it's like, God, this is really fun. And then there's days where it's like, I just can't I can't even I can't find the line. I got you know, it just amazes me. And I don't practice, you know, so it's I create my own bed for sure. But when I'm just thinking of myself, you let it fall. Like when I do that, it almost feels like. But I, but to do that, I have to give it some pace going back. Like I can't be slow because then I got to goose it, you know, when I, when I'm giving it pace, Marcus, then I can let it fall. And that's when I feel like, okay, that's when I'm really rolling. It's almost like cruise control.
1: So you kind of, it's exactly what I've kind of been working on with Matt Neesmith actually. So, just using jordan Spieth as an example yeah he's probably got one of the fastest backstrokes on tour him and yeah. like he like he rips it back but he he really controls that tempo nicely coming through because it's so quick going back and so kind of going back to acceleration profiles and stuff uh, matt Neesmith for a little bit had some issues with he was had a lot of acceleration kind of when we started and so lately we've been working on speeding up the backstroke because that just allows it to come through a little a more constant a little easier and we've proven it on the quintic that as we speed up that backstroke it's so much easier for him and to kind of get that constant tempo that we want through the ball and that's something that's made a big difference in kind of
0: speed control yeah speed is a po- is the poster child for that you know and, but you know there's always outliers i can remember i did a when i was working for golf channel i did a this thing on speed this was back in like 2017 when he was just you know, ripping everybody apart. And I put up his, it was after one of his wins and I put up his video and I was showing like, okay, here's his profile. Like, you know, he's kind of a two to one and what the benefits of that were. So that afternoon um, our guest was Lydia Ko. So then I had Lydia Ko in there and I uh, and Lydia is the opposite. She's kind of shorter back (laughs) to longer throughout. I think she's evened that out a little bit now. But it was just funny, like I did this whole thing on two to one. And then Lydia comes in and we're looking at her putting stroke and she's like, Yeah, I kind of keep it shorter back and longer. I'm like, okay. This is. <laughs> but but you know, like the golf swing, you know, there's outliers, right? And you have to go yeah. you have to coach the student. Um so you know, when when you're when you're filling it up like Lydia was during that time as well, it's it's yeah, you're it's not gonna changing. change. Not yeah. gonna change yeah. But I think these are like, you know, giving people some things to think about. I I do think that gravitation to that more two to one and speeding up the backstroke a little bit cruise control through the strike like that's really good stuff that's going to help i think more amateurs than short slow and then then let's go from zero to 80 like how do you control that unless you're a lydia co or you know someone that's kind of working down like that that's really good stuff You, you so these left hand lows i'm seeing a lot of it we talked about the benefits of that Let's talk about a couple other grips here before I let you go. Um, So you've got this variation of this right hand coming in and the, you know, some guys are just, just barely putting it on there. I mean, talk about this trail hand stuff that you're seeing and maybe some of the benefits to that.
1: So uh, one of my players who's on the corn ferry tour is going to be on the PGA tour next year. Lee Hodges kind of uses the saw grip a little bit. And so he, and for him, he was left hand low for a while. And then his hand action, just he couldn't feel comfortable with the hand action. Mm-hmm. So he went with that saw and it it just felt like it quieted the hands for him and made things way easier. And like when I'm just messing around, kind of putting with it, the claw saw, however you pencil, whatever you want to hold it. Like it's honestly a pretty comfortable grip and pretty easy to kind of keep that face square and kind of going back to that right hand that's yeah. another good one. Sometimes that can be issues because if someone's too active with the right hand, even with the saw, they might kind of get a little jabby with it, which is where left hand low can come in. But I think for a lot of people that can really help stabilize things, especially if you get a little bit of a shaky hand, kind of, that could be a really good grip to kind of go to.
0: Yeah, it's um, and it, that elbow can move differently, too. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like based know, off how hands- you're holding it with your hand. Right. I mean, there's a lot of variation in that. You know, this way, and then how that affects this, and um, but I think at the end of the day, telling people, look, if you're you're having a hard time returning it consistently and hitting it solid and getting it online, and you know, like being able to try a couple different types of grips. I mean, I, I don't see any downside to that. If you're having a hard time hitting it squarely and getting it online, and you've got breakdown and and things like that, so. Um, it seems like that inside takeaway who, who, people who really drag it in, like getting this out a little, this way can get it, straightens it out a little bit. Yeah, sure. it does. Yeah. I've, I've, I've sent that to a couple people where they kick it out and they get that going. So, um, well, this is fascinating. We could, you know, we could talk forever on this, but it's, it's, it's really cool. I think, you know, bringing it back to skills here for a second. And I had Shaheen, Dr. Giovanni on last week and I asked him, I said, do online lessons work? And of course we know that, you know, we use it. We, we get students sending it in all the time. And he's like, well, he goes, I've been doing it for four years and my business just continues to grow and grow and grow. He goes, so it's like the proof's in the pudding. Like if it didn't work, then it wouldn't have been a viable business that has grown over the years. You and Shaheen, I think do the most online lessons and skills. I mean, if not, I would have to think you're right there. I mean, um, yeah.
1: He, I mean, he gives an, exce- he gives it a ton.
0: I don't know yeah. how he gives as many as he does. we did not sleep. He, I mean, he's like, I'm like, dude, you got to start pacing yourself a little bit. Right. Like I know you're, uh, I think he's 32 now. I'm like, man, you gotta, <laughs> you know, eight <laughs> eight eight on the lesson tee and then coming home and doing another two hours of that. I said, you'll burn yourself out. But anyway, um, you do a lot of these, they're coming in and people get on like these lesson series with you, right. Where they'll, they'll go work on your stuff. And then they'll resend the videos in two, three weeks later. Yep. And you're teaching students long distance, getting results. And you've never met these people in your life.
1: And kind of so funny to talk about Shaheen. So I was going through Instagram and Shaheen talked about for new coaches specifically. He's like, I highly recommend you get into online lessons. He goes, there's, there's no time frame to kind of try and figure out the issue with he was talking about in his tweet. And I, I, that's how I got into coaching actually was online lessons. And the only reason I was, I'm able to coach out on tours through me building up a reputation through online lessons. So yes, 100% online lessons do work. Kind of going back to what you said, things just get busier and busier because of word of mouth. You're like, Oh, Hey, like you're putting better. Where'd you get a lesson from? Oh, some guy online. And then it just kind of grows from there. But the thing I like about online lessons for people is, you're almost your your own coach in a way. Mm-hmm. So we give you seven, eight minutes of stuff to, to think about, talk about, and then implement. But you're the one that has to go to the driving range, go to the putting green, and actually implement it. You're the one that's like, okay, he told me to do this, do that, figure it out. And then you're trying it, and you're trying to make it work on your own, which I think can be its own benefit. Right. You're learning it a little better, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like you're giving them... I use the word context, right? Like you're giving them the context, you're giving them great info, you're putting it in the right order. And then they're going to go out and practice this within the context that you've provided through Skillless. And of course you're sending them the videos and the things that you want them to do. Um, And then they have to self-discover and then they come back and they're like, here's where I'm at. And you're like, okay, tweak, tweak. Oh yeah. You know what? Let's move. Let's, let's go to the next chapter and see if we can get a little more of this to happen now. So it's yeah, you're right. I think self-discovery is it can be really high um, if you're giving them the proper context. And I think it really separates the coaches, too, to be honest. I I think, you know, like it's one thing to know what to say, you know, and I think technology has helped and it's sped the process up for a lot of teachers. But I think how to say it and like providing the context and being very thorough with painting that picture of what you want them to do. I think that's the real credit and I think that's why you guys have done so well, you and Shaheen and and others. Um, And I certainly do a lot of online lessons as well. Not as many, just with the, some of my media stuff and how much time that takes, but um, you can really, you can hear it just talking with you and Shaheen, the the way you articulate um, and that context is so key because they're like, okay, I can do that. You know, like, yeah, that makes total sense. And then it's like, they own it. Yeah, and then they and they come back with you with real feedback without you maybe facilit you know overcoaching it,
1: and I think and then you're like self and then
0: you're
1: discovery, like, oh. self like you said is huge. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The I mean I've had it. You've probably had it too. Like it's just some people's brains sometimes, but you'll get this giant checklist of questions, and it's like this is stuff that you should be trying to figure out on your own a little bit, right. like. I've given you the stuff. You should be able to go through your checklist yeah. after you've worked on what we've talked about and be like, okay, I'm able to answer this, 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 and this, and I'm still kind of left in the dark on that. Mm-hmm. And it's like the people that have these big checklists, they either are kind of overthinking it a little bit, obviously, yeah. but it's like, you gotta, you gotta figure it out on your own. You gotta do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's good stuff, man. Um, can't thank you enough for sharing these uh, videos of your players, Naismith and, and Landry. I know you've got some other players that you can't, you know, publicly put out there. I know you're a busy man with jumping <laughs> oh, yes. around. You guys work hard out there, but all these students online. You got some guys coming up from the Corn Ferry Tour. Um, you no, know, you're a great follow there on Instagram. Tell people how they can um, how they can see you there in your social media, and then also go to the Skillless app and just look up Marcus Potter. And there you are.
1: Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at, at Potter's underscore putting, and that's really kind of the main social media I use and then skill under Marcus Potter. But one last thing that I w- would want people to yep. know this. So this is going on my third year coaching on tour. And I would say one of the biggest things that I've learned out here is there's, there's accepted fundamentals, but there's really no right or wrong within golf. If you can repeat it day in and day out, and if you know why you're doing it, you can be successful with it. <laughs> yeah. And because you'd walk down the driving range on a PGA Tour event and you're like, it's kind of a weird swing. That's a weird swing. And then they're like, well, that guy's ball striking stats are really good. Right. You're in and you're out. And it's just like, they've learned their method of doing it and they've gotten really good at their method. And they're not trying to make it look like someone on tv they're not trying to make it look like oh i need to get my good position at the top they're just like i know what works for me i know it's functional and i can make it work
0: yep well said appreciate it marcus potter thanks for joining me here on the strike monday edition brought to you by Skillus. we've got a great lineup uh coming every monday here Um, with top teachers out there that use the skillless app. So we'll look forward to that. Marcus, have a, a great tournament there, John Deere Classic. Thanks for joining me, man. Thank you. Really appreciate having me on. I just want to interrupt this interview real quick and give a shout out to my friends over at Encore Golf. Encore provides some of the most cutting edge technology in a golf ball that I have ever seen. Their team in Buffalo, New York is changing the script of golf technology through their perimeter weighted designs, which offer players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course. With their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, they are transforming the game for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com backslash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to The Stripe Show.